welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Luke chapter 1, if you want to turn there today. Continue with our story from last week. Listen. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Do you guys know that song? You guys know that? Like That is the perfect Christmas song. I, I love that song. It's, it's the kind of song that you feel like it, when it comes to like Christmas Eve and it's late at night and the stockings are hung up and, and the fire's going in the fireplace and the lights are, the Christmas lights are twinkling and you're sitting there with a cup of hot chocolate. I don't know what it is about hot chocolate and Christmas, but they go together. It just seems like that's the song that should be playing is that, that slow and solemn song about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But... That song has so much more meaning. This song as we know it, the version that we know it as, it goes back about 200 years in the, the lyrics that we sing. But if you get into the history of the song, this song actually has its origins 1,200 years ago. That means that this song was actually being written closer to the time of Jesus than it is to the time of us, if that makes sense. And, and I love this song because it gives us the sense of what it means to be Israel before the announcement of Jesus Christ. This the sense of longing for the day when when the Messiah will come, the day when salvation will enter Israel, the the day when all of our sins can be cast aside. And you and I, we live in a time when, when we no longer have to have that longing for that day to come because it's already came. And and that's what Christmas is about. It's not about all the things that we we try to make our traditions. It's about the fact that there was this longing of the world for a Savior to come to us. And that prayer was answered 2,000 years ago. And each each year as we come together and we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating that that cry for Emmanuel has been answered. Last week in Luke 1, we, we started talking about God's plan to bring the answer to this prayer. And we started talking about some specific people in specific places in the precise timing of God. And we began to learn about Zacharias and Elizabeth. And Zacharias had this, this amazing day planned out before him. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to serve God as a priest when he got to enter the holy place of the temple and he got to light incense. And there, and there he got to pray to God as close to God's presence as you could get at that time. He got to say a specific prayer. And what did he pray? O come, O come, Emmanuel. And there, there is this, this, this moment where an angel appears to him and announces there's a child coming to you. You and your wife will have a child, but, but it's not the Messiah. But this child is the forerunner to the Messiah, which is almost just as, as exciting because that means that the Messiah is coming after this. And so after Luke tells us this story about the announcement of the forerunner, he skips six months of history and he picks up in Luke 1, verse 26. Let's, let's read that. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. 
And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. All right, so as, as God starts this story, six months later, we are, we're, we got a map coming up. We're going to get another specific place in another specific time. This story begins to take place in a region called Galilee. And what we know about Galilee, you can still go there today, is it's mountainous and it's kind of defined by the Sea of Galilee. You can see it up there. I know the map is small, but that little red area up at the top, that's Galilee. And so this, this area is defined by this economy of the sea, of people being fishermen, of selling fish and fishing materials. And then in the middle of this little area or this region called Galilee, it takes place in a place called, um, the story takes place in Nazareth. Now Nazareth is a little town of about four to 500 people in the middle of the Galilee region. And it's never mentioned before in scripture before this. This is the first time and one of the few times it comes up in the Bible. It's an inland agricultural village surrounded by cliffs, and it's really the middle of nowhere. It's 70 miles from Jerusalem, and it's 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee. That means it's 15 miles away from the main place that the economy takes place here. And it's just a little small town built around a well that just barely takes care of those people. And those distances, 15 miles and 70 miles, it doesn't sound like much to us today, but remember, this is a time when people move predominantly by walking. And so 15 miles at this time was a long way. Most people at this time may have never traveled more than a mile or two from their home. And if they did, they only did it once or twice in their life. And so as you study Nazareth, this little small town, this little small community in the middle of this mountainous area, it kind of reminded me of like the little small communities that surround us. I'm thinking like Deshay and, and Concord and Cushman and Rosie and Salado and Floral, these, these little nowhere places out in the middle of the mountains. And this area in Galilee was kind of known as a joke. They spoke, they spoke in a rural dialect because they were out in the middle of what we would call the boonies. They were out in the middle of the boonies. Now, now listen, I, I am pretty proud of being Southern. I know you guys are too. And, and the only time I dislike my Southern accent is when I listen to myself preach and I thought I gave a really sophisticated message and it's like, boom, Southern drawl. There you are, Brian. Like, I'm pretty proud of that. But if we're being honest, if you get up into some of these little communities up in the mountains around us, you can find some people that are country, right? You guys know what I'm talking talking about like I'm not making fun of them God loves them but I mean they are country and when we talk about the Galilee region and Nazareth that's what we're talking about we're talking about that that area they had this rural dialect that people would kind of make fun of them for they were relatively uneducated they were crude because they were so isolated they didn't understand the cultural norms of the day and that could be said for the same thing of some people around us from time to time cultural norms like bathing on a regular basis you ever been up in those country areas they don't know about this this literally happened to me this is a real story a couple years ago i was going down i'm going to call it out it's collie town road in cushman and once you get down collie town road a few miles it gets it gets pretty back in the sticks and i drove by this one house and they were outside taking baths in the front yard this really happened to me a whole family of them and and i know what you're thinking oh brian they were probably swimming and playing in the water no they were bathing and they were not being shy about it if you know what i'm talking about in the front yard on the side of the road and that's that's what i kind of think of when I think of Nazareth, like people that they just don't get it. They're, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And so when we look at this area, this place was made fun of all the time. In John chapter one, when they find out that Jesus is from Nazareth, somebody really goes, can something good come from Nazareth? It's, it's the middle of nowhere. It's all these crude, rural, uneducated people. 
And this is what God looks down on and he says, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's where I want this story to begin, in this forgotten area. And, and on top of that, he, he picks a forgotten person. He looks down at a little girl named Mary. And by our standard, she's very young. She, she's 14, maybe 15, most scholars believe. He looks down at her and he says, this place and this person, this is where I want the story to start. Uh, that that kind of catches me off guard because, like, there's nothing prestigious about Nazareth. There's no throne, there's no, there's no royalty, there's no wealth, there, there's no nothing that would be expected for the king of kings story to start here. There's nothing there, but God looks down and he says, this is how I want to work. This brings us to our first take home truth is this, is, is that God's plans use nobody people in nowhere places. God's plans use nobody people in nowhere places. If you think about Galilee as nowhere, Nazareth was the middle of nowhere. And this is a Bible theme for God. He continually does this in his story of the, of the world. If you look in the Bible, you're hard pressed to find someone who God uses who was prestigious. David was a shepherd boy. They had to call him in from the flocks to come be the king of Israel. Moses was an orphan. He was placed in a basket and floated down a river. He was an outcast among his own people, and he stuttered, and God called him and said, you are to lead my people. Noah was crazy, building a big old boat out in the middle of nowhere, and people laughing at him all the time. But God chooses again and again and again to use nobody people in nowhere places for his plans. Why? Surely somebody that's, that's well-educated could do better. Surely somebody with more money, more prestige, surely someone who was royal could, could bring about God's plans more. But, but that's just the point, is God doesn't want people who are qualified to take his glory. God chooses to work through nobodies and nowhere places, so there's no question that person had nothing to do with this. It was God working through that person. And God looks down at Mary and he says, that's how I want to act. That's how I want this plan to come about. We love these kind of stories. We love underdog stories. We always are cheering for the teams that are supposed to lose to win, like the Razorbacks. And we, we always want that to happen, right? But, but we just love this concept of somebody becoming great out of nothing. Turn on a TV on like 7 o'clock any night of the week, and there's going to be some kind of a show on that's a competition, something like American Idol or America's Got Talent or, or The Voice, where you have people coming together and they're nobodies, and, and they put, put themselves on the line trying to become somebody, and, and we just eat it up. You notice that none of those competition shows ever pull down all of these big celebrities and have them have a singing competition. Here's someone who's rich, who's beautiful, who has a powerful voice, and we're going to have them compete with somebody else who's rich, beautiful, and has a powerful voice. Those shows always go around nobodies from nowhere getting their shot, and we just eat it up. And God capitalizes on that, that this is how he wants his glory shown. And so you may be sitting here, and you may have thought at one time or another, Brian, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody from nowhere. We, we are from nowhere. We are nobodies. Nobody in here is rich, and if you are, we can be closer friends. I didn't know that. Um, no, nobody in here is royalty. Uh, I love you all, but we're not prestigious. We're, we're normal people from Batesville, Arkansas, a town that nobody outside of Batesville, Arkansas has ever heard of. And, and yet, listen, God chooses to work through people like me and you. And we tend to sit here and say, well, I don't have X, Y, and Z. 
I don't have the ability to speak in front of people, Brian. I, I'm too old or I'm too young. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not all of these things that don't matter. And listen, Jesus, I'm sorry, God chooses people like you to be the canvas on which he paints his greatest stories. That's the truth. As we look at this little small church in this community, God chooses to work through people like us all the time. Now, we're a little late to have our names recorded in the Bible, but we can have the same effect as many of the people that are recorded here, just, just like Mary did. He chooses to use us. Not because we're prestigious, but because his plans are about him and not us. And he proves this in the story of Mary, this, this nobody from nowhere. He proves what he's going to do with her. Let's continue reading here in verse, verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then, Mary, uh, then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Uh, listen to this story of what happens to Mary here. We see for the second time, we see this angel named Gabriel pop up. He's the same angel that appeared to Zacharias. And he pops up to Mary and he says, look, um, God has a plan for you. God, God has something that he's going to do for you if you are willing. Now, what we know about, Mes or, uh, about Gabriel is he is one of three archangels. Usually he's the one responsible for delivering big news like he just delivered to Mary. Now, we looked over this exact same scripture two weeks ago, and we talked about Mary. So we're not going to talk about her an awful lot. We, we are just going to go over the basics again, is that Mary was betrothed, which means that she was legally, contractually obligated to marry Joseph. But they were not married yet, and they were not living as man and wife. And so as this angel comes down to Mary, he says, congratulations, you're going to have a child, and he will be the son of the Most Highest. There's a problem. Now, I didn't pay attention to a lot of things in school, but I've got a very basic understanding of science. And Mary tells us very clearly here, was a virgin. And so with my understanding of knowledge, like virgins don't have children. I may be wrong about that. If I am, correct me after. I, I don't really you know, know a lot about that. But to be honest, that's how it works. And if you look at Mary, she had a basic understanding of science as well, because that's what she said to Gabriel. She goes, um, I studied science. And, and Gabriel, that's not possible. How, how can this happen? And I know what you're thinking, like, oh, no, Mary. Don't ask Gabriel questions, because we remember last week when Zacharias, when Gabriel came to Zacharias and said, you're going to have a son, and, and Zacharias goes, um, how's that going to work? And Gabriel got mad. He started, like, you know, puffing his chance on He's like, I'm Gabriel. I stand at the throne of God, and you're going to question what I'm telling you? And he calls uh, Zacharias not to be able to speak. And so we're looking at Mary, and we're going, oh, no, Mary, don't ask Gabriel questions. He, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like to be questioned when he brings news. But Gabriel responds differently to Mary's question than he does to Zacharias. See, the difference between these two people is Mary asked in faith. 
She, she didn't question if it was going to happen. She said, can you explain how this is going to happen? I don't understand how this is going to happen. Zacharias asked and doubted, oh yeah, I want to have a child. And so Gabriel is going to go ahead and explain this to her. And this is my favorite part of the whole scripture. He, he tells her, okay, yes, you're correct. And you can't have a child because you are a virgin. But here's what's going to happen is the power of the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. Now, this, this word right here explains so much about how this works, this, this overshadowing. It's used only one other time by Luke, and that's in the story of the transfiguration. If you're not familiar with the transfiguration, here, here's what happens. Jesus is in the middle of his earthly ministry. He takes three of his disciples and he decides to go pray. And the disciples, like me and you, get bored and they fall asleep like you guys do when I preach from time to time. And they, they fall asleep and when they wake up, they see that Jesus has been transformed. They've been walking around with an earthly human body Jesus that looks just like me and you. And they wake up and they see Jesus in his heavenly glory with his face and his clothes shining. They see the spiritual side of Jesus Christ for the first time. And this tells the disciples something very special. And on top of that, Jesus in this moment is talking to two people. He's talking to Moses and he's talking to Elijah. Two old, I have it in my notes, two Old Testament OGs. Like these guys are, are the guys of the Old Testament. And so when they wake up, they see this and they're like, wow, I knew Jesus was special, but I, I've, never, I've never understood him like this. And then enter Peter. Oh, Peter, bless his heart. <laughs> Peter runs up to Jesus and he goes, Jesus, uh, uh, we saw you. And that was Elijah and that was Moses. And, and you were talking with them and you were shining and all this. He goes, this is a special moment. He said, we need to build three tabernacles. We'll build one for you and we'll build one for Elijah and we'll build, build one for Moses. And we'll set them side by side and we'll commemorate this moment. And, and I think he meant that as a compliment, but he really, really messed that up. See, what he did with Jesus in that moment is he put them on the same level. He said, Jesus, if you talk to Moses and Elijah, these Old Testament prophets, one of them dead, one of them taken into heaven by a chariot of fire, if you're talking to them, you must be something. And really the truth is Moses and Elijah were something because they were talking to Jesus. And so when Peter puts him on the same level with those two, he thinks he's complimenting him, but the truth is he just kind of like missed the whole point of the transfiguration. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, they were overshadowed by this cloud. This cloud come up above them and around them. And this was no ordinary cloud because this cloud began to speak to them. Out of this cloud comes a voice that says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. You guys aren't getting it. Clouds don't talk. This is not a regular cloud on a sunny day. This is not a rainstorm blowing in. This is what we call the Shekinah cloud of glory. And every time this particular word for overshadowed is mentioned in the New Testament, except for one time, it refers to this cloud. And to understand this, you have to go back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God wanted his people to have a visible manifestation of God's presence with them. Anytime God wanted to be visible to his people, he appeared as a cloud or as fire or as some combination of the two. And so when the children of Israel are wandering around a desert, they are led by a cloud, a fiery cloud. When, when Moses sees God, he sees him as fire. And when you go into the Holy of Holies in the temple, the cloud of glory was in there. That was the presence of God. It was a visible manifestation so people could see there is God's presence with us. Shekinah actually means to dwell, God dwelling among us. And so when this cloud and transfiguration pops up, that is God's visible presence with these people. And here's the exciting news. If, if we go back to that word overshadow in Mary's thing, 
she's being told, you are going to be visited by the presence of God. This visible manifestation of the presence of God. Now, when did it happen? Did it happen right then while Gabriel was standing there? Did it happen while she was asleep? Did she see the cloud? We don't know, but we know that this means the presence of God is coming upon her. And from this connection with the presence of God, she is going to conceive. The God who spoke the world into existence is going to put a child within her. Now, we may be tempted to think this is like Greek mythology, like in Greek mythology, these these gods would come down from Mount Olympus and they would mate with humans, and that's not what this is. This is a mystical, I hate to use the word magical, but that's what it is, magical moment where God causes her to conceive the same way that he spoke the world into existence. Perhaps what's more exciting is that this is the first time that this is going to be seen in 600 years. 600 years prior to this, God's visible presence with mankind had left. So this is the plan. From the day that the earth was created, this was God's plan to make it work this way. It's even prophesied. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, a prophecy about the Messiah says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Listen, I'm getting excited here. Listen to what this means. We have this, 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 this symbol of God's presence on earth being referenced in connection to, to this conception of this child. And in that moment, Mary is going to conceive a child whose name will be Jesus, but he will be called Emmanuel. You guys know what Emmanuel means? means God among us. This, this concept of God dwelling with us visits Mary and it leaves with her a child with the name of God with us. See, when we study Christmas and when we celebrate Christmas, we're not celebrating everything that we are so used to talking about. We're celebrating the fact that God's presence came down to be with us. As our second take home truth is, is that Christmas is about God's presence with us. God, again, made a choice to dwell among humankind. And so when we decorate our trees and we have to have all the lights perfect, that's not what Christmas is about. Even with the way that we do nativity scenes and Christmas plays where we have the shepherds and the wise men, and that doesn't even work because that's not how the Christmas story was. Even in all that, that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about us realizing and reminding ourselves yearly that God chose to come dwell among man. God himself chose to come and go through the birthing process. He chose to grow up with with scraped knees. He chose to enter a world with politics. He chose to experience pain and hunger. He came to come into a world where people smelled bad. He came to come into a world where there was mosquitoes. And he came into the world where he was going to be rejected by people. And he would experience a death on a cross. A death that wasn't his. And, and it, it wasn't anything that he had to pay. A death that belonged to me and a death that belonged to you. And he did all of this so that he could be with you. He did all of this so that you and I could have hope in a dark world. Listen to another verse of our song. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here disperse the gloomy clouds of night. And death's dark shadows put to flight. Listen, this is what he came to do. When we, when we study this child in this nativity scene, when we study this Christmas story, this is what he came to do, is he came to chase away the darkness of death. And because of that, at this moment in history, we no longer have to say, Emmanuel shall come to thee, Israel. We get to say, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you, Israel. 
That's the world that you and I live in at this moment, that we get to celebrate that God came to dwell among us. Let that sink in. It's not a fable, and it's not a fairy tale. The God, the only God, chose to be here with us. So, so the question is this. How do we respond to this message? As we, go into our, as we go into our yearly celebration of Christmas and we study this story and we remind ourselves about God's presence with us, how do we respond? What does it change about our lives more than just having the celebration? To answer that question, I think you have to see how Mary responded. And so if you go back to Luke chapter 1 again, listen to what Mary says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, that means look at this, the handmaid of the Lord, be unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. See, Mary sits here and she hears all of this and she understands the excitement of what this means. This is not just about you're going to have a baby. It's not just about you're going to have a child, not even about you're going to have a prophet. Mary understands what it means for God to dwell among us. And her response is this. She says, look, here's what I am. I'm a servant of God. Use me how you will. Our last take-home truth is this, is God's plans use willing people. God's plans use willing people. I like to think of Mary, like we, we, we read this story and we've read it the same way for so long. We read Mary where she's like, behold the handmaid of the Lord, use me as you want. That's the, I think Mary had excitement. I think Mary's like, use me. I'm willing. I will do this. Yes, God, let me be a part of your plan. Let me, let me be with you. So with this same message that Mary received, we receive today is that God dwelled among men. What about our willingness? How do, how do we respond yearly, daily, weekly to this message of what God did for us? It's not our first reaction to say, God, use me. Be honest with y'all. Life is busy. There's jobs and hobbies and things to do. And sometimes God says, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you at church. I've got a plan for you to serve at church. I've got a plan for you to witness people. I've got a plan for you, but you're going to have to make time. You're going to have to be willing. And, and honestly, and I'll admit this, it's sometimes like, God, I'm busy. How often do we throw our hands up and yell, well, yes, anything, God, I'll do anything, uh, anything. I'll, I'll clean the carpet with a toothbrush. Just let me be used for your plan. How often do we do that? The last draft, the last United States Army draft was in 1972. And we just celebrated Veterans Day this last week where, where we celebrated those who volunteered and those who willingly accepted the call of the draft to defend their country. But for the past 48 years, nearly half of a century, the U.S. has put the fate of our country and the protection of our country in the hands of the willing. Those who, who choose to volunteer for the armed services. Those who have this belief in what it means to be an American. Those who have this belief in what freedom means. And they say, I am willing to serve to protect that belief. People so impassioned by freedom that they are moved to action. And in that same way, God plans to call us to action. He plans to work through the willing of people who are impassioned by the message that God came to dwell among us so that he could take away our sin. He chooses to work not through people he, he makes work that way, but through people who say, yes, God, use me. Yes, God, have it, have it do unto me as your word says, to be moved into action. And so the question we have to look at is, as we begin to end today, Liv, if you want to start making your way up here, are we willing truly when we walk out of here on Sunday morning to say, 
Behold, a servant of the Lord. Are, are we willing to, to let God move within us? Are we willing to let this message make a difference in life? Because see, his plan for people is still in nowhere places, using nowhere people. It's still in effect today. But he needs our heart to be willing. And this is our yearly reminder to serve. See, each of us, God has a plan for. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for you, regardless of what your talent is, regardless of what you think of yourself. And some of you in here may be to the point where you've never really accepted that plan. You've never came to God and said, I, I'm willing to be your servant. And, and I'm going to tell you that he is crying out to you in this moment. Just put your faith and your trust in me and allow my plan to start in you. And if you haven't done that, I'd like to invite you to do that. But for the rest of us, we've lived our lives accepting the grace of God, celebrating the goodness of God. But maybe he's saying to us in this moment, it's no longer about me serving you. It's about you serving God. And so I want to ask you, can we let this message and this story of Jesus Christ change our hearts to be more willing to serve him? This is our response time. There's time for you to pray, time for you to talk to God. I don't care how you do it or what you do, but please, please, please don't leave here neglecting to do what God has called us to do.